Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Let's continue our worship through the Word of God. Please open your Bibles to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. May God bless the reading of His holy word. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to the yoke of slavery. We are uh, celebrating this weekend, of course, uh, the outcome of the Revolutionary War, as, as, as to, so to speak, uh, the Independence War that was fought so long ago for our freedom. Uh, I wasn't there, but apparently there's a lot of reasons for that war. Uh, felt like the, the, the citizens back then, the, the new colonists in, in America, had been living and building their farms and raising their families and striving and struggling to make a living. They felt like they were being oppressed by a government 3,000 miles away. They felt like they were being enslaved, used for the purposes of others. And they said they wanted liberty. They wanted freedom, and so they fought for it. And I, uh, I'm not a great historian of those days, but I, I did, do remember that uh, some 25,000 uh, of those people died for freedom. And those 25,000, how many more thousands were injured over that course of that five or six years of that war? How many more lives were destroyed and ruined and wrecked for the cause of freedom? Incredible to think about. But we owe, owe so much of what we could do today at our freedoms, our, our, our liberty, our, our pursuits. The... Uh, the opportunity to live our rights, so to speak, to those who died for us. They brought us liberty through death, through sufferings, through tribulation, through trial, through sacrifice. I, I bring that up, of course, because this text, the Word of God, says that for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, the parallels, uh, you know, there's, there's many, but there's some that are vastly different, of course. Um, a group of people came together in solidarity and union, and they decided they were going to fight for their freedom, and we we're the beneficiaries of that. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, uh, he came and He fought for us, in a sense, but he certainly gave his life for us so that we could have freedom. Now, what does it mean? What is Christian freedom? Our freedoms as, America, as Americans are incredible <laughs> and possibly wonderful. 
of all the, the ways that humanity could go, all the ways the governments could go, all the ways that societies could be organized, the idea that we could be free is just astounding and that it's happened in so many wonderful ways. But what is Christian freedom? Freedom from what? Freedom for what? Uh, there's, uh, in the New Testament, there's many different lines that explains, explains this idea of freedom. And uh, it's not Paul's direct uh, teaching here. He has a certain reason, a certain emphasis that he wants to make. But certainly, if you read through the New Testament, you see again and again, we've been set free from sin. If you're taking notes, you can write down Galatians 1.4. We've been set free from sin. Uh, there's all kinds of different places that talk about our, the freedom from sin's power, from sin's condemnation, sin, 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 set free from it. Uh, we've been set free from death. Different places in the New Testament talk about our setting, been set free from death. Like death is this great enemy that's got a hold of every one of us, and all of us will die, and yet the scriptures tell us that we'll be set free one day. And, and if you're taking notes again, you write down 1 Corinthians 15, that whole chapter, that death wasn't the end of Jesus. He rose from the dead, and all who have faith in Him, all who have trusted in Him, will come back to life, will rise from the dead. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from the devil. There's so many places that talk about that in different ways. The devil's control over humanity is, is much greater than we think. You can write down 2 Corinthians 4.4, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We've been set free. The scriptures tell us we've been set free from the devil's power, from the devil's control, from his sway, his leverage, his power. But here Paul is talking about another, it's in line with those things, it's not separate from those things, it's together with those things, but Galatians, if you ever read the book of Galatians, he's writing for a certain purpose. People have been enslaved in a certain way that Jesus set them free from, but they've been enslaved in a certain way. And the problem with the Galatians is they're strangely going back to slavery. It, it's it's kind of like this idea like we were set free from Britain many, many years ago. What if uh, 50 years later, 100 years later, we said, hey, let's go back and let's be slaves to Britain again? It would be in incomprehensible. It would be foolish. It would be strange. Paul is writing to a group of people, the Galatians, who have been set free by Jesus Christ in a variety of ways, but they want to go back now to slavery. So Paul says, he makes an assertion, he says, Christ has set you free, as speaking for all the Christians, all the Christians everywhere, Christ has set us free. And he gives a command, in keeping with the problem in Galatia, the, the group of churches in the region of Galatia, stand firm in the freedom you have. Uh, what, what is he talking about? I, the freedom that he's talking about is the freedom from legalism. 
a, a law-keeping legalism, a freedom from a religious slavery. You see, there's a whole wide world of people out there, and whatever religious title you give them, what religion they're part of, unfortunately, we have a whole world of people that are enslaved to their religion. Enslaved to the idea of living for a righteousness of their own making. A legalistic law-keeping. Just as an illustration of it, if you look at chapter 4, verse 8. He's, uh, the whole chapter, the whole book is, is coming at a certain problem. They're living uh, for their own justification. They're living to seek their own salvation. They, they, they're, they're going back to a, uh, a self-made justification. Formerly, verse 8, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Paul went to the book uh, to the region of Galatia. We, re- we read through that in chapter 13 of Acts. And that whole, that whole section when he moved in there, and he, he went to those towns that we read about, and he preached the gospel. He went to pagans who were enslaved to idols, who were worshiping idols, who were living for idols. They were trying to please the idols. They were trying to, to uh, earn the idols' favors by their works of righteousness. He said, you were enslaved to those by nature, not God. Man-made idols, man-made gods, man-made principles, man-made ideals. You were living for those things. You were enslaved to those things. Um, But now, speaking to Christians, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, what, what a great summary statement of salvation a relationship with God. You've come into a living relationship with God. God knows you. He's called you. He loves you. You are in His family. You know God. Not just going through principles of religion. Now, Christians, how can you turn back to those weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves You want to be once more. Uh, Going back to the old religions, going back to the old ways of living, going back to the old ways of performing, Paul calls it slavery. It's kind of strange in our ears, but religious slavery is a real thing. Uh, A legalistic law-keeping, keeping the law, whatever the law might be. It might be the law of Buddhism, it might be the law of Hinduism, it might be the law of Islam, it might be the Mosaic law. Going back to law-keeping for the purpose of earning righteousness, of making yourself righteous or holy, trying to please God, trying to win His favor, trying to earn His love. How can you go back to those worthless principles? The law was never designed, the Mosaic law, God's law was never designed to save you. If you try to make it do something that it can't do, what are you doing? You observe days and months and seasons and years. You observe Sabbaths. You go through these feasts, these festivals. Uh, in, in Galatia, there was a, a Jewish contingent who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they also taught everybody that to be saved, you have to become a Jew. 
To be saved, you have to walk in the old ways, the old covenant. You have to keep the law, including becoming circumcised and then all the other 613 commandments. You have to keep the law in addition to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's calling them out. You started so well. You started with the Spirit of God. You started with walking with Jesus. You started by faith. And now you want to go back to trying to earn a salvation that you already have by religious works. He's shocked. He's, he's annoyed. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's hurt that they would leave the gospel of Jesus Christ to try to earn their salvation. I'm afraid they may have labored over you in vain. He raises a warning, raises a fear. He calls them to, to, to ask themselves a the question, what do you believe? Have you trusted in Christ or not for your salvation? So the, the assertion is, Christ has set you free. He sets you free from having to earn salvation. He sets you free from having to work your way to heaven. He sets you free from the burden, the yoke, the yoke, that burden, that, 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 that strain of doing what the law says in your own power, and your own strength, which is impossible for salvation's sake. He sets you free. Look, look at verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. <laughs> Pause there. Circumcision stood for the law in the Jewish mindset. Uh, you entered the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant by being circumcised. And so everybody who was not born a Jew, born into the families of Jew, if you wanted to convert to Judaism, you had to be circumcised. And so it became this banner. It became this, this anthem. Circumcision, yeah! Circumcision, Yeah! It's basically Judaism, the idea. But Paul says, man, if you want to go back to slavery, if you want to work your way to heaven, that, that impossible ideal, look at what it does. He says three things in these verses. In verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's an astounding statement. Christ will be of no, no benefit to you. No advantage to you. you, you you've trusted in Christ, but if you want to live by, by the law, if you want to earn your own salvation, why are you trusting in Christ? If He didn't die for your sins, if He didn't die to set you free from death, if He didn't die to bring you from the devil, if He didn't die for your salvation, why are you trusting in Him? If you think you can earn salvation, if you think you can earn your own way to heaven, why? Would you even think about trusting in Christ anymore? So he's saying if you go down the, the religious road, the law-keeping legalism, trying to earn something through your works, you can give up on Christ. He's not going to save you because your trust isn't in Him. 
Uh, verse 3, I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law. See, the Judaizers were thinking, yeah, become a Jew, keep the law, and trust in Jesus. But it's, it's one thing or the other. It's one way or the other. It's all or nothing. Either you trust in Christ 100%, or you trust in your law-keeping, your righteousness, your man-made, your accomplishments, righteousness 100%. It's not like uh, you can trust in Jesus 99% for your salvation and your righteousness for 1%. You trust in yourself, you're lost. Even if it's 5%, even if it's 10% of your works and 90% of Jesus' works. Paul says, man, you want to go down the road of the law? You want to go down to earning your salvation? You've got to do it all the way. Christ doesn't play into it anymore. Once you start down that road of my righteousness, my holiness, what I've accomplished, it's all on you. He's warning them. He's telling them that's not how it's done. Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus keeping a religious law. Jesus plus the Mosaic law, the old covenant law. It's Jesus or nothing. It's everything is Jesus not adding anything to his salvation that he's provided. And the, the heavy one is, if, if those aren't heavy enough, if you would be justified by your law keeping, if you think you're saved by your goodness, by your works, by what you're doing, what you've really done is severed yourself from Christ. You've alienated yourself from Jesus Christ. You've fallen away from grace. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you're trying to earn salvation, trying to get to heaven any other way, as Pete said, you know, we don't know when we're going to die. We could die tomorrow. We could die... A week from now, if you're trusting in your goodness and your righteousness and the things you've done, the religious works you've accomplished, you're lost. You're not trusting in Jesus. But if you trust in Jesus alone, you are saved. You will be saved. You will always be saved. You trust in Jesus Christ alone. He, uh, he, he's battling because these people, man, they started so well. They left their paganism. They, they left their, their trust in the law for salvation. And they started walking so well. And now they're going back. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. Working through love. He says, you guys are trying to legalistically keep the law for salvation. You're trying to justify yourself. And so he, he counters those false ways of salvation by talking about faith in a couple special ways. Verse 5, he says, uh, Through the Spirit, through God in our life, we wait for the hope of of righteousness. In other words, we're waiting for eternal life. We're waiting for the salvation to come. It's by faith we wait. We don't work for it. We wait for what's to come. We wait for the salvation promised. We live in faith. We don't 
work for it, which is a wonderful thing, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for the coming of the kingdom, waiting for our resurrection, waiting for eternal life, living by faith. The other way he talks about faith here, in verse 6, he again counters the false teachers. He counters those who would say that you're saved by your works. He says, man, circumcision, what does it mean? Nothing. Uncircumcision, what does it mean? Your religious works, in terms of seeking out justification, in terms of seeking out salvation, nothing. The only thing that counts is faith. He's lifting up the faith, the trust in Jesus. As Pete said, do you trust in Jesus with your life? Have you entrusted Him with your salvation? His piercings, His, his, his body being crushed, His stripes, are you trusting in what He did, the shedding of His blood, the death on the cross, His atoning sacrifice, or are you trusting in yourself, in your works? His faith is trusting in Jesus alone. Salvation comes through trust in the Lord alone. What is, what is this life after that? It's serving one another in love. Uh, we're going to come back to that in, in a moment. Circumcision doesn't count for anything you know, in terms of salvation. Tithing doesn't count for anything in terms of earning salvation. Uh, helping, helping a puppy cross the street without getting crushed by a car doesn't count for anything for salvation. And yet, faith works. When the Spirit of God is in your life and the Spirit of God comes in and brings a life to you, there is a different way of living. A life of love. A life of serving others. Not for justification's sake, but for God's glory, an act of worship. Every tithe given as an act of worship matters. Every helping a little old lady across the street matters if it's about worship. If it's about God's glory, if it's about serving God, of course it matters. But in terms of justification, of being saved, you can never keep enough laws to be declared righteous by your works. Verses 7 through 12, he, he kind of shares his heart a little bit. He kind of gets very personal. He shares his frustrations. He shares his anger. I'm going to skip over that. You can read about it. Look at verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Paul's preaching, his, his assertion, you're saved by faith alone. Jesus sets you free from legalistic law-keeping. He sets you free from religious slavery. Um, praise God that we don't have to keep the law in terms of earning our righteousness. No one's ever done it, but through the centuries, how many... Thousands of thousands of millions of people have tried to earn heaven through their goodness and they fail again and again and again. 
Man, the, the burden, imagine living 80 or 90 years where you're striving to earn your place in heaven and you're always falling short. You're always messing up somehow. You're always giving in somehow. You're, you're always sinning in some fashion. And the guilt, the weight of guilt, the weight of shame upon someone, if that's their worldview, if that's the way they, they, they think about life, they have to be good enough. Jesus has set us free from that. The yoke of slavery, he's broken it off. And we've been set free from that slavery. Freed from law-keeping as a matter of earning righteousness of being saved. He says in verse 13, uh, another way we've been set free, it's a little bit of application, it's a little bit of going a little bit deeper into the problems of Galatia, the churches in Galatia, the people of the different churches in the region of Galatia. You see, they came to this conclusion that... uh, Hey, if I've been graced by God, if I've been saved by God, if I've had all my sins forgiven, past, present, and future, then I can live however I want. Really, Paul's saying uh, we've been set free from slavery to legalistic law-keeping, but we've also been set free from license. Also been set free from living according to the flesh. Again, in verse 13, you are called the freedom brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The the flesh, what what is that? How do we describe that? How do we understand that? Uh, It's it's used, uh, some of your translations say a sinful nature. Uh, The the word there, sarx, it's used in different applications in different places. Sometimes it means the body, the physical body. But more often, Paul uses uses it, it, it as an ethical term. Um, an idea that the flesh, the sinful nature, it's the self-seeking, twisted sinfulness that comes from the fall. That we as a people, every one of us, every last one of us as sons and daughters of Adam, the corruption that came through sin has come into our life. We're born into it. We're born with this tendency, this desire, this passion for living for self-glory and self-desires, and selfish ends. Uh, the, the wild nature of this is that we've died, as it were. We, we died with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. This idea that, that we, we've, we've started a new life. Praise God, the, the Scriptures talk about again and again. You were born again. You were regenerated. You, you were brought into the family of God through faith in Christ. You'll live forever now through faith in Christ. Uh, a new nature, a new, a new identity, etc., etc. But there's still this sense as born-again believers where we live in the flesh or with the flesh. Uh, the depth of... You could, you could go deep into the study of this in Romans 6 through 8. But there's some, the, the way I summarize it is, man, I've been made alive, I've been born again, I'm a new person, praise God. I've been set free from sin, the death, and the devil. I've been, I've been made new to live forevermore. And yet, while I'm still in this body, while I'm still in this age, while I'm still in this walk towards heaven, the flesh is still the arena that I live in. There's still part of me somewhere, some, somehow, that 
is prone to wander, that wants to live for self and not live for God. We're called to mortify the flesh. We're called to, to put the, the, the flesh away. We're called to crucify the flesh, as it were. We're, we're called to not listen to the flesh, not follow the flesh, the fleshly desires that we all have. There's a battle going on. Will we live by the Spirit or will we live by the flesh? Will we walk in the Spirit or will we walk by our own selfish sinfulness? It's an incredible, incredibly deep uh, theological understanding of our identity. What does it mean to be human? What is anthropology? What does it mean to be people in the next age, and we're in this age, we've already been saved, but the age to come will be saved. Paul says, hey, God has set you free, Galatians. God has set you free from legalistic law-keeping. He set you free from religious slavery. But it doesn't mean you can live however you want. It doesn't mean you can do wrong. Don't give your flesh an opportunity, a, a, a base of operations to work from. Don't, don't live from your flesh. That's death. It's always death. Uh, just to illustrate what, what he's talking about here just a little bit, if you uh, look at verse 19 in the same chapter, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, <laughs> envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Uh, these things were going on in Galatia, in the Galatian communities. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, it's, it's a warning saying, hey, if you're living like these, in, in these ways, and this, this characterizes you, if this is who you are, uh, it probably means you're not saved. But in terms of the, the Galatians, the Christians, he's saying, man, just because you're saved now, because Jesus sets you free, doesn't mean you can live however you want. It doesn't mean you can live evil ways. Reject that idea. Jesus set us free from bondage to rule-keeping to law-keeping in terms of earning our justification. But he doesn't, it doesn't mean now that we're forgiven of our sins, that we're saved, it doesn't mean we can live any way we want. That would be evil. That would be wrong. Uh, have you ever, uh, maybe some, I don't know, maybe some have never done this before, but uh, have you, I think most of us have, have you flown a kite? I think most people have tried to fly a kite, <laughs> whether it's successful or not, is a whole other matter. I remember uh, when we lived in Oregon, sometimes we'd go to the Oregon coast and they'd have these massive kites that uh, real long, strong ropes even attached because they were so big. The coastal winds are so strong there, but the, the kites could fly magnificently. And in our, in our country these days, it, it seems like everyone wants to be free but they don't understand the need to be tethered to God. Uh, 
the, uh, the, the tone of our, our, our nation sometimes, or, or the, you know, the, the, the national consciousness, as it were, I want to be free to do whatever I want. And thankfully, that's not everywhere. But we tend towards that in our consumerism and our materialism and our individualism. We tend to want to exercise our freedom and nobody can tell me what to do. But have you ever seen a kite that's uh, kind of been let go of? People think that if they are free from God, free from His control or free from His direction, free from His guidance, that they can fly and they can be all that they want to be. And they can be full of themselves and, and experience everything that they want to experience and live to their potential. But unfortunately, that's not how humans are made. When we fly free of God, we're like that kite that once the rope is let go of, it crashes. It ends up in ruin. It doesn't fly anymore. It falls to the ground in a terrible mess. Paul's saying, man, don't think for a minute that now that you've been forgiven that you should be undirected, untethered, unconnected to God. That you can just do whatever you want. No. You've been set free from legalistic law-keeping, but you've also been set free from your own sinful desires, your own sinful ways of living, your own passionate pursuit of the flesh. Praise God. Been called to life, called to walk with the Lord. <clears throat> set free. For what purpose? We've been set free from, but we've been set free for what? We've been set free from sin. We've been set free from license. But set free for what? Verse 13 again, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the, full, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> That's such an incredible statement. Set free for what? To live for myself? To live for my pleasures only? To live for my glory? No. Set free, in one sense, to fulfill the law. Set free to glorify God. Set free to love my neighbor. Set free from those things, but set free for. And what an amazing thing. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, difficult conversations to have about the law. And I don't want to, it's a whole other sermon to talk about uh, the law and our, our call to be law keepers, and yet at the same time not keep the law for the sake of justification. What's the right balance? What's the right, what's the right tact? What's the right way of understanding things? Uh, the different categories of the law, the different understandings of the law, sometimes it can be so confusing to know where I stand. I think if you read through, go back today and you read through the book of Galatians, you see all the, the ways that Paul talks negatively about the Old Covenant, about the Mosaic Law. And he's not saying that there's anything wrong with the law. He's not saying that it's not holy and righteous and, 
and just, what he's really getting at is the misuse of the law. We could try to keep the law in sense of, of earning salvation. I've, I've labored to, to explain to you that doesn't, that's not what the law is for. The law was given to show us our shortcomings. The law was given to show us how far we are from God. The law, the law condemns. The law brings a curse upon us when we're, when we're not living godly lives, etc., etc. Probably the easiest way I can say it is the Galatians, the Jewish contingent of the Galatian churches, <clears throat> they grew up in an environment where then the Torah, the, the law, not, not just the first five books of the Pentateuch, the, the Pentateuch but all of it, man, they loved the law. It was a gift of God. It was a gift of grace. And, and they, they transferred that into law-keeping as a means of justification. But, but they held up this idea that, man, for you to be saved, you've got to keep the Mosaic Law. And us Gentiles, how do we look at that? We, uh, we come to the Bible and, and we see an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Uh, the Old Covenant was given to Israel. It's not our covenant. The Mosaic Law was given to Israel. It was their law, not our law. And yet, even though it's not our command, it's our Scripture. It's our Bible. It's God's Word to us. We come to the New, new Covenant, the New Testament. We come to the Law of Christ. We, call, we come to the, uh, the teachings, the commands of Jesus. And when he sent out his disciples, he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's happened? What's going on? The old covenant into the new covenant. All those principles, all those laws. Well, the way I look at it, and again, the easiest way I can say it is, is if uh, that law that's now been fulfilled in Jesus, nothing in the law passes away, not one jot or tittle. Everything continues on. Nothing's changed, but it's been fulfilled by Jesus' coming. And yet, we have in the New Testament all these commands, all these teachings of Jesus. So the way I look at it, the way I describe it, is the way I understand it, is if something's repeated in the New Covenant that was from the Old Covenant, we're commanded to keep the New Covenant teachings while learning from the Word of God in the Old Testament, which is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, just because we've been set free from legalistic law-keeping, and uh, we're told not to live without, um, without a tether, we're, we're told we can't live in license, what the Scripture is telling us, what Paul is saying to us, is that we can still, as followers of Jesus, fulfill the law. We're called to obey the law. <laughs> Not in the sense of earning anything, but as a response of worship. God directs our path. God gives us guidance. God tells us how to live. And we are called to be people who live out the will of God in obedience, in faith, in trust. 
Paul uh, says this in a certain way that's rather breathtaking. Verse 14, the whole law, and this, this moves into another category, which law? <laughs> Mosaic law, the law of Christ, yes, the moral law. If the Old Covenant civil laws have been fulfilled, if the Old Covenant ceremonial laws have been fulfilled, the law of God is never come to conclusion. It's always there. What's right and wrong? Ten Commandments, Old Covenant, transferred to the New Covenant. We can, we can argue about the Sabbath and the meaning of that, but nevertheless, God's will is still there for us to obey. For us to follow, but never, and hear this, never in the sense of earning salvation, always in response to the salvation we've been given. And what does that look like? How do you do that? The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul doesn't say, uh, here's, here's a bunch of, a list of long list of rules. He says, man, you've been put in a position, you've been set free from legalistic law keeping, you, you've been called to live righteous lives, you're not given the freedom of license to do whatever you want to do wrong. No, you're called to live. I'm going to summarize the whole Testament for you, Jesus said. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul brings it to a head. He says, man, here's how you fulfill the law. By loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul, what would you do with the first part? But Paul comes to the conclusion that to love God, I prove I love God by loving others. If I can love other sinners, if I can seek to meet their needs, if I can serve them, the word there, uh, serve, it's actually slave. The, the noun is doulos. The, the, the verb there, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, called to serve one another. Called to slave one another. It's incredible thinking. That how do I fulfill all of God's will? I seek other people's benefit. I seek to love them as Jesus loved me. I give my best for them, for their benefit, for their sake. We're not called to be lawless people. We're not called to be enslaved to religious rules. We're called to serve others in love. And if we actually do that, the Spirit's working in us to bring about God's will by loving people, the law is fulfilled. What an incredible, incredible thing. How do you do it? Well, that's a whole other sermon. But I'd give you a teaser. Verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit. You know, not gratify the cravings of the flesh. Freedom, what is it? Christian freedom is freedom from legalistic law-keeping, religious slavery. Freedom, as a Christian, it's Freedom to obey God. It's freedom to serve God. It's freedom to love people instead of living for self. Freedom from sin. Freedom from self-justification. Freedom to fulfill the law. 
We've been set free. Brothers and sisters, um, we are free today. Praise God. Free in Christ. Free from sin. Free from death. Free from the devil. Free from the grave. Free all the different ways. We're free to serve God today. Free to love people in His name and thereby we serve God. Free to serve in Jesus' name. We've been set free. Brothers, we're free. Forever we're free until God takes us home to eternal freedom. Praise be to the Lord. Would you please stand in His presence? Lord God Almighty, thank You for what You did. And Lord Jesus, we, we, uh, we celebrate today the Gospel. That though we were sinners without any hope, You, who were sinless, came from heaven to earth. You lived a sinless life. You went all the way to the cross. You allowed uh, them to crucify You, to put You to death. For our sake. Lord, we're, we're in awe, we're amazed that you would lay down your life to set us free, that you'd lay down your life, that you'd die in our place to pay off our debt, that you would give your life to save us. We worship you for that, Lord. Now we ask for the grace and we ask for the power. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and that you would allow us to exercise our freedom. You allow us to serve you. You allow us to love others as you've loved us, seeking others' benefit for your glory, for your honor, for your praise, but also for the benefit and the blessing of others. Give us that ability as a church, as a people, to live in the freedom and the power that you've given to change lives, to preach the gospel, to bless others. We love you, Lord. Thank you for letting us worship you today. Thank you for letting us commit to you today. Thank you for letting us be in your presence today. Thank you for loving us today, Lord. Send us out this week as your servants, saved by grace. And may you be glorified through our love, through our actions. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.